Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 434th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world in this, our 10th year, from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. Now, most of us, I think, agree that climate change is the major threat facing the world. So what's the solution? Is it carbon tax? Major companies across the globe think that carbon tax is the answer. And this week, financial giant JP Morgan Chase joined the throng endorsing a centralist legislative plan to reduce emissions. The Climate Leadership Council, which is the organisation behind this proposal, has redoubled efforts to promote the plan before an expected introduction to Congress as the conversation around various climate solutions heats up in Washington. Surprisingly, to almost everyone, global carbon dioxide emissions from the energy sector plateaued in 2019, defying widespread expectations that they would continue to rise. Emissions fell sharply in some advanced economies, including the US and the EU, and this offset increases in developing countries and emerging markets. Overall emissions stood at 33 billion metric tonnes last year, almost the same amount as in 2018. And this raises hopes that emissions may have peaked after years and years of increases. The Climate Leadership Council announced new supporters, including former Energy Secretary Ernest Moniz and former UN Climate Chief Christiana I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Figueres, and released internal poll numbers showing bipartisan voter support for the plan. Now, supporters, this might surprise you, now include a broad coalition of companies, including oil giants like ExxonMobil, tech companies like Microsoft, major environmental groups like Conservation International, and a hell of a lot of economists and political leaders. Now, the markets can and will have to do much to address climate change, as governments tend to do nothing. But given the magnitude and urgency of the challenge, governments have to put a price on the cost of carbon. The thinking behind this is really simple. A carbon tax makes companies pay for what they pollute and gives them an incentive to stem carbon emissions. And that's a pretty efficient way to reduce such emissions. But carbon tax proposals have been met with opposition in the past from across the political spectrum, in large part because they will increase energy costs. The CLC proposal gives the money collected by the tax back to to taxpayers in the form of a quarterly dividend. And it's hoped that that might make it more politically palatable. Just last week, 
The CLC provided additional details about the plan, including introducing a new mechanism that would rapidly increase the price on carbon if, t- if um, the targets are not met. Backers say the plan will cut US emissions in half by 2035, and that's got to be a great thing. But despite the growing coalition, actually passing the plan remains a challenge because while more and more Republicans have stopped denying the science of climate change in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary, many say that they would never support something that was another tax. And Democrats argue that it's too little too late and that you can't trust corporations to support the plan. Still, big corporations increasingly see a carbon tax as the simplest solution to an extremely difficult problem. With the science being overwhelming, activists in the streets and voters experiencing extreme weather events in their own backyards, business leaders see new, new climate rules as all but inevitable. If not at the federal level, then in states and other counties where they operate. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just mm, around about a minute to read, and every day we tackle a different subject, from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop. We talk about autonomous cars, blockchain, artificial intelligence, cryptocurrency, we tackle it all. In tomorrow's newsletter, we discuss how corporations and government have ignored climate change in order to line their own pockets. Are they sacrificing an entire planet for greed? Is it already too late to save the planet? That's stuff we're talking about tomorrow, and you should know about all this. And the Bob Pritchard newsletter delivers the latest in business stories up to two months before the traditional news outlets report them. So if you want to be ahead of the game, then this is the one information source you can trust for the latest up-to-date business information, the Bob Pritchard Daily Business Newsletter. Now, there's no question that dawn of autonomous cars is upon us. Have you seen the new Cruise Origin, the electric driverless taxi? It looks... a bit like a cigarette packet on wheels. It's very boxy, but it's an electric people mover and re- that removes the steering wheel and the driver's seat and provides a very spacious, safe and totally driverless, emission-free vehicle. It looks very ordinary, but the autonomous people mover is meant to be a safe, spacious and city-friendly auto cab. Cruise knows a thing or two about ride-sharing and ride-hailing. It's been tested with a fleet of autonomous Chevy Bolts for the past three years and running an autonomous Cruise Anywhere beta test with employees for the last three years. Although for the last three years, they have had a a human safety driver on board. Powering Origin is the GM-sourced electric motor with the battery pack beneath the passenger compartment. The electric powertrain frees up room in the cabin, making so that the compact footprint gets dedicated to the passengers. The upright boxy profile does the rest. 
Sliding doors help prevent collisions with cyclists and pedestrians when you're loading or unloading. And in, inside, you'll find very generous seating and legroom for four passengers with the folding centre armrests deployed or up to six people, if you don't mind bunching up. The Oregon has, Origin has no steering wheel, no pedals, no driver's seat. It's designed around complete autonomy with the passengers facing inward towards each other. Now, facing outward, a cruiser's suite of sensors and auto- autonomous software, which the company's been developing over three years and with millions of miles of testing. The Origin's new owl-like stereoscopic optical sensor suite that rapidly swivels backwards and forth, locking into recognising pedestrians, cyclists and other important details, things you don't want to hit. The Origin features four of these swivelling all-seeing gadgets, one in each corner of the, the vehicle, which can also see in pitch darkness on the IR spectrum. So compare that with human drivers who can only really look in one direction at a time. Now, the Origin's built around a modular design that makes them easy to repair and upgrade. Origin's cost about half as much as a traditional electric vehicle SUV, and they say they'll stay in service for over 1 million miles each. That gives a pretty solid return on investment. It's estimated the driverless cabs like the Origin can save passengers $5,000 a year over traditional services like cabs or Lyft or Uber or owning a car. It eliminates parking costs, personal vehicle depreciation, insurance, paying and tipping the driver or just wasting time driving yourself. Autonomous cars. They're upon us and they're here to stay. Now, my guest today is Tara Anderson, who is Technical Product Manager at the PR9 Network, which provides real-time trading and settlement for blockchain-based assets held in cold storage, whether as a long-term investment for staking or for client fund management. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Tara in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com.
You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're over the past nine years. God, that's a long time to be doing this, isn't it? Um, we've given you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We've uh, discussed their interesting new initiatives. And we, we talk to the entrepreneurs behind these projects about the services they provide, the challenges that they've faced to get there, and we try to ascertain what it is that makes them tick. What makes these successful entrepreneurs unique? What is it that makes them succeed when 99%, the latest figures from Silicon Valley, 99% of all entrepreneurs fail today? That's pretty scary. Tara Anison is Technical Product Manager at the PR9 Network. She was previously Product Manager at Lending Block which is a securities lending platform for cryptocurrencies and digital assets. And there she was responsible for defining the product vision, the roadmap and feature set, as well as creating all user requirements, personas and user stories. So while at Lending Block, she was awarded the Women in IT Award for Young Leader of the Year. So what that means is she's bloody smart. And ambitious and dedicated and obviously a hard worker so prior to prior to that Tara was program manager digital media and product owner within the corporate and institutional digital department at HSBC which as you know is a big global bank and there she led the idea idea I'm not sure how to pronounce that so I won't even say it the development and deployment of the bank's digital learning platform, Digital Download, which is a triple award-winning website, which focuses on improving staff awareness of new technologies and digital trends. So now she's at PR9 Network, and they provide real-time trading and settlement for blockchain-based assets held in cold storage. Now, this is whether as long-term investment for staking all for client fund management. Network participants can securely and seamlessly exchange a wide range of digital assets to enhance yield on custodiated assets. The network supports the issuing of a wide range of crypto assets, including Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic and Litecoin, with fiat and digitalized asset support to be rolled out in the near future. They're very low trading fees and it enables high volume low value transactions as well as high value transactions hi tara welcome to the bob pritchard radio show on voice america business network you are being heard right around the world it's pretty scary isn't it <laughs> amazing thanks for having me it's a pleasure now with hsbc which i've always regarded as a typical legacy bank traditional conservative um, essentially ignoring consumer needs and providing lousy customer service. And uh, I also believe that they've got a limited future going forward. However, you're involved in their digital division. 
Well, are they more ahead of the curve than we think they are? I'd say so, yeah. HSBC has certainly spent the last few years really focusing on the digital proposition. As you say, you know, no bank is immune to bad customer service reviews and uh, falling foul of uh, various scandals. So I think the bank was really trying to work hard to improve that image and focus back on the customer. And digital is obviously a key need for that. So the department that I was in specifically wasn't looking at the retail aspect of digital, uh, but the commercial and investment bank proposition for digital. So that's everything from improving the trading system to internal products for staff, such as the one I worked on. Right. So they, they essentially want to use the blockchain to speed up transaction times and uh, decrease costs while continuing to charge the public the same amount of money. <laughs> well, so I didn't work on any blockchain initiatives specifically, but there were quite a few that the bank was exploring, not only to look at trading. So uh, they had one pretty well-known uh, project they were working on, I think, called WeTrade. Uh, but outside of that, they were also looking at blockchain for cryptocurrencies and just learning more about that space as well as the tokenization element and just finding out a little bit more about what blockchain could do for the various parts of the bank. So it was quite a lot of exploratory work going on. Are all the banks doing that or is HSBC out ahead? I think all of the banks are certainly interested in the topic of blockchain or cryptocurrencies, whether they've got POCs running or just wider educational programs. They recognize that this is a technology that's here to stay, that is going to be used, and is certainly being used by their customers. So uh, from what I've seen, certainly all the banks are at least dipping their toes in the water. Okay, so you're trotting along very nicely at HSBC. How did you get to be engaged by PR9 Network? So I joined HSBC on the Commercial Graduate Scheme, and I did a number of frontline placements there, the traditional bread and butter banking. But for me, my interest has always been in the technology side of things, um, specifically Bitcoin and uh, blockchain after coming across that during a third year cryptography module at university. So I left the graduate scheme around uh, a year early and joined my role within the corporate and, uh, corporate and institutional team to take on a digital transformation project. But there was always a part of me that wanted to do more and go full time in the blockchain industry. So after uh, launching my product, uh, second release of the product, I decided it was time to go full time into the industry. And that's when I left to join Lending Block. I was there uh, for nearly a year and then had this fantastic opportunity to join the PR9 network and uh, thought it was a really exciting project and a fantastic time to join. So joined there uh, around about two months ago now. I think you made a very good calculation there. Um, so what does PR9 network stand for? Just the words. So it's... Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's really a acronym of our co-founders' names and then the age of their children. So it's, it's a bit ethereal. We are going to look at a rebranding because uh, we're not a PR network, which we're often mistaken for as well. Sure. So, yeah, there will be a rebranding exercise. <laughs> That's one way to do it, yeah. It's not a very good way to pick a name for a company, but I guess it's one way. Um, so tell me a bit about the PR9 network, apart from the fact that the um, founder is an egocentric. Apart from that, 
How does it work? Yeah, so you gave a, a really good overview of it uh, in the introduction, but it's a, a real-time trading and settlement network for blockchain-based assets held in cold storage. The idea is that it's the best of both worlds. So you can you have the ability to keep your assets in cold storage whilst trading a replicated balance on our network. So we have a traditional open order book for market and limit orders, as well as the ability for direct peer-to-peer -peer transactions. So how big do you have to be to be able to use PR9 Network? Does this work for um, large quantities of, of holdings in, in digital vault or is it for everybody? We're targeting the institutional market, but the technology that we're building on would easily lend itself to a retail market. So certainly something which we might look at adding onto the roadmap uh, in the future. But for now, as I said, institutional market, so the kind of uh, values that you'd expect of institutional clients, and also typically mirrors the types of balances that people would hold in cold storage anyway. So more and more... Um hedge funds and all sorts of other people are getting into holding or trading cryptocurrency. Is, is it growing as fast as we're led to believe it is? From what I'm seeing, it certainly seems to be. I think um, only this earlier this month, Fidelity put out a report that said 22% of institutional investors had some level of exposure to digital assets. And wow. I, I think that's just going to continue to grow. People want more diversification in the assets they're holding. They want to understand more about the digital assets and, and hopefully uh, seeing the growth of them continue. We are obviously coming out of one of the biggest bear markets uh, in crypto's history. Sure. So I think, it, again, it's going to be really interesting to see now as the price hopefully continues picking back up where this leaves institutional investors. Yeah, it's interesting because institutional investors, um, if they go into um, traditional types of investment, their returns are very low. If they go into the stock market, they're really punting with a potential big downslide shortly. Um, and, and cryptocurrencies showing them a, um, a potential huge growth forward. So it would be smart to put some of your assets into crypto, wouldn't it? Exactly. I mean, it's highly volatile and that's something that we shouldn't ignore. So it's certainly not one to put all of your assets in, but then that would be a, a pretty bad choice for any investment class. So I think what we're going to see is more people dipping their toe in the water, having a little bit of holding, seeing how that goes. Uh, and like I say, diversifying across as well. At the moment, the concentration is certainly heavily on Bitcoin, Ether, uh, maybe down to Bitcoin Cash. But I, what we'll hopefully start seeing is that diversification out into some of the top 10 uh, coins, maybe top 15. Yeah, because they're, they're the sensible ones to invest in, aren't they? Outside the top 15, you're really, it's really um, um, just picking a horse in a race, isn't it, to a large degree? But yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's such an asset market. It's only 10 years old as an industry. So we're going to have some big winners, some big losers. There's, I think it's over 2,200 cryptos in the yeah, market at the moment. Right. Obviously, not all of those are going to succeed. But like in the dot-com boom, not all of those succeeded, but you only need a few to come through uh, to really kind of see your returns. So I think what we'll see is, yeah, certainly investment outside of the top three or five, which is where it's concentrated at the moment, 
some of the projects that are in the top 10 might not exist in 10 years and some that are in the top 100 might skyrocket up. But at least having that awareness and having that diversification of assets across should hopefully make sure that you're backing a winner, but you just never know in this industry or investing generally. What are some of the long shots that you've got in your portfolio? Uh, well, I've always been uh, a fan of the protocol levels uh, as well as the products. So I tend to, to spread my holdings across both uh, the products and protocols. I think that's the, the safest way to do it. But again, you know, it is a, a big bet of the unknown. You've got to read the white paper, keep a track of uh, the team, see what they're doing. And uh, I'm certainly nowhere near to being a millionaire yet from any of my long shots. So I wouldn't, <laughs> and I wouldn't recommend just copying my portfolio. Would I be right in saying that um, if you're sitting out there and you're wondering, um, you haven't invested in crypto, you don't know that much about it, that you stick to, um, to be safe, <laughs> safer, you stick to um, uh, platform type um, cryptos like the, the Ethereums and the EOSs and the um, Ripples and those, those types of investment? really depends on everyone's appetite. You've obviously got uh, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, which are the, the classics that everyone knows about, but they are as volatile as, as many of the other currencies. If you if you have slightly more of a, um, a wider risk appetite, then maybe you want to go for some of the, the kind of lower cap coins. But if you're just getting interested and uh, want to test the water, then some platforms and exchanges provide kind of buckets of assets where you invest, say, £10 and you get a spread across maybe the top five or, or whatever basket they've chosen. So that can be a good way if you want to dip your toe in the water and get involved without putting too much risk. Um, I have many of my friends are asking me, you know, what crypto should I buy? And I always say, you know, you've got to put in what you're willing to lose. It's a highly volatile market. Certainly don't put too much in to start with because this level of risk certainly isn't for everyone and it's by no means a guaranteed return. In fact, you'll probably lose more than you gain certainly at the beginning. So yeah, not for everyone um, and yeah, you really got to be careful to make sure that you're investing only as much as you're willing to lose. Yeah, I think if you're if you're going to recommend um, cryptos to your friends, there's only one thing you can be absolutely guaranteed of and that's that you're going to lose your friends. <laughs> 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 I wasn't aware, and I haven't come across, which is interesting because I've been in the crypto space for quite a while, I haven't come across um, people offering baskets of coins. That's really an interesting idea. Um, has that been around for a while? It's the first time, and I've interviewed probably 50 people about, about various forms of crypto, and uh, no one's ever mentioned that to me. Yeah, so it's fairly recent. I can't remember when I saw it, but um, it's offered by Coinbase. So you put in, say, 10, 50 pounds, and they give you an exposure across five or however many uh, coins they support. And it really is aimed at the retail market, those that want to get some exposure uh, without the kind of active trading that you'd maybe need on the higher volumes if you're picking coins yourself. If you're going to, if you're going to invest in, in coins, do you, um, do you need to – can you sit on them or – do you need to trade them to make any money? Definitely both. So it depends your kind of level of uh, trading experience and your risk tolerance and how much time you've got as well. Some people just want to, uh, in an um, industry term you've heard before, I'm sure, but hodl. 
So just sit on it, hope it rises to astronomical levels. Uh, and others want to maybe day trade, week trade, or, or maybe have a career out of trading the assets. So both can certainly be ways of uh, hopefully generating an income. And it depends on the personal level of experience. Yeah, true. I've, I've found that trading is pretty tricky because you, you're never quite sure where, where, the, um, where the top is or the bottom is. Despite all the charts and everything else, it's a hard one. Um, is Bitcoin really um, a great investment because there's such a limited number of them? There's only, what, 18 million or something at the moment. There's never going to be more than, what, 23 and a half million. So it's a scarcity value rather than a, um, a real, you know, anything that's got any real asset backing to it. Yeah, so it's, it shares the kind of property like gold, I suppose, and there's that scarcity um, aspect to it. But obviously, it's also the first crypto that was around. So it carries some value from that naturally. And, you know, you can't um, forget that it has a use case. You know, people do use Bitcoin to send as a global payment peer-to-peer without an intermediary. Sure, so, sure. No, there is value in it both intrinsically and extrinsically. Obviously, some people put slightly more weight on one or the other or, or dispute it. Uh, but for me, yeah, I see Bitcoin as being highly valuable in certainly those three regards. And yeah, like you said, the fact that there'll only ever be 21 million of them means that at some point, you know, you will only be able to get a Bitcoin if someone sends it to you rather than if you mine it yourself. Sure. So what differentiates the PR9 network from other protocols? So for us, we're looking at really focusing on the, the network aspect. So that's bringing together multiple custodians. For us, it's really about uh, bringing together the aspect of cold storage and trading, something which at the moment you can choose either or. So what we are doing is pulling all these custodians in so you don't have an intranetwork, you have a network of multiple custodians and you could be a customer with custodian A, I could be a, custodian, a customer with custodian B. We can trade on the Piana network and our custodians will settle at end of day between them. So that's something which we think is really powerful. It's bringing the liquidity out of just one custodian and across a much wider and deeper pool. We're also focusing on choosing a sensible technology you know, the industry has been abuzz with uh, blockchain for, you know, insert pretty much any use case. That sure. doesn't mean that blockchain is the right choice. So for us, we're really spending a lot of time building down that value proposition and making sure that the tech stack that we're using really solves the problem that we're looking to solve. We're also, and you know, again, this is something which uh, we're seeing as, a, as an industry trend looking at charging ultra-low trading fees. The exchanges are already starting to do this as well. Uh, and we think this is really important because it's going to allow high-volume, low-value transactions sure. as well as high-value transactions. Sure. So you you deal with people like <clears throat> the vaults and those sorts of people, right? Yeah, so any custodians people have heard of, but we're looking to work with you know, Vault, Coinbase, BitGo, all the top-tier custodians that provide obviously a really good service, but high quality security. Right. How, how important is that security? If you, you know, I've got um, crypto and I've got it stuck in a number of wallets around the place. Um, is that is that really risky? Yeah, so we've, we've seen hacks already this year. Sure. Um, Binance, that, what was that? Two weeks ago, Binance found 40 million taken. Um, I think it's, 
yeah, billions has been taken over the last few years from attacks, whether it's social engineering or direct attacks at exchanges. So keeping your funds on an online wallet or with an exchange carries the risk associated with that. If you have it in cold storage, then the risk is hopefully a lot lower in that you'd need some kind of physical attack to, to kind of penetrate into maybe the military grade bunker or the multiple levels of security that it's hidden within. So it is a much safer option. The downside of that, of course, is that because it's so safe, uh, it takes a while to get it back out. So if you want to, let's say the price of Bitcoin skyrockets and you want to take your Bitcoin out of cold storage and sell it, this can take a couple of hours and you might lose uh, the potential profit you were looking to make. It's also bloody expensive, isn't it? it yeah, it can be very expensive, but I suppose that uh, the price you pay for security, whether you've got crypto or you've got diamonds and you're trying to store them in Hatton Gardens, that security does come at a premium. Yeah, but if you're, I mean, even if you, it seems to me that if you've got, even if you've got a, and I may be wrong, but even if you've got a million bucks worth of crypto um, and you use a vault, then you've got very substantial setup fees and then you've got a, a reasonable percentage every time you, um, then I think they charge you holding fees and then you get um, more fees when you trade. Um so for somebody that's relatively small, which I guess a million dollars is, then you um, it, it it eats away that a lot of that profit. Yeah, I mean, there's other options as well. So if you've got you know slightly less holdings, then there's hardware wallets like Trezor, Ledger that provides fairly cheaper services. There's also the kind of ultimate free option, which is a paper wallet. So you know, write your private key down on a piece of paper. Uh, and, and hide it, bury it, do whatever you want with it, but that's free storage. So depending on how much security you feel you need, your level of holdings that you've got, there's a myriad of di- different options available. And cold storage with a custodian is one. Uh, it's the the kind of most managed uh, in that, like like you say, you know, there's someone there holding it, protecting it, helping manage your transactions. You can put approval processes in place. But if you don't feel you need that, then there are other options that are, of course, cheaper and and slightly uh, easier. Yeah. So who are your target users? We're targeting institutions. So that's everything from hedge funds, family offices, exchanges, high net worth individuals, anyone that has a significant amount of crypto and currently feels that pain of keeping it in cold storage, but but wanting or needing to take it out to be able to trade it. So those are the people that we're targeting with the PR9 network, uh, as well as you know custodians more generally, because they're the ones holding these assets. They've got customers who are requesting to withdraw maybe you know multiple times a day. That incurs fees. It's obviously operationally intensive for them. So having a network like PR9, which allows users to trade their balances on a layer two solution, uh, means it's obviously less operational work for them and certainly uh, cheaper due to transaction fees at the end of the day for reconciliation rather than for every single transaction that they're sending out to a client. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we think so too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only an industry pain point. Um, you know, anyone that has crypto in cold storage knows that whenever you need to take it out, you know, you have to go through a process. It's not fast. You wouldn't want it to be super fast, otherwise, you'd probably draw some questions about the security yeah, of it. Yeah, it sure. costs funds. So this really is it's a marriage of the world between security and trading. And when we spoke to people at Consensus, where we were last week, uh, certainly the, the industry generally and everyone we spoke to said, ah, yes, this is a problem. 
that sounds like a really good solution for it. So we certainly think that this is a great time to be kind of releasing more information about the PR9 network and then really building out the proposition. How long has the PR9 network been going? So it's been heavy kind of research and development for the last few months. As I say, we've really focused on the core of choosing the right technology stack for right. the problem and also a really customer-centered design on the network. So often with technology problems, uh, it's, it's built from day one, kind of go, go, go. What we've really wanted to do is make sure that we're talking to network participants. Uh, we're bringing together a council that's everyone from um, custodians through to potential clients, industry experts, to make sure that we're building a solution that's fit for all because it's a network effect rather than just building it for one custodian or one client. So that's meant a lot of the early work that we've been doing is really building out the proposition and and making sure that we're building it in the right way. Uh, So it hasn't been going for too long, but the work that we've done has really been about driving that together and making sure that we start in the best possible way. What barriers um, exist in the blockchain and cryptocurrency industry um, and what needs to be done to overcome what, whatever barriers there are so that we get much more mainstream adoption? Yeah, so it's yeah, such a relevant question. I think for me and especially with my kind of background in HSBC, uh, it's knowledge. So one thing I really focused on there was building up knowledge and awareness about digital trends generally, but as blockchain is my kind of favorite technology, certainly around blockchain. When people understand it, they're able to apply it in uh, better use cases. They're able to see the benefits of it, maybe why it shouldn't be used in certain circumstances. And I think 2017 was trying to make blockchain mainstream, but by just applying it to every use case going. And that's really not a a sensible way. So more knowledge and awareness should should certainly help make sure that blockchain is hitting the mainstream, but in the tools and products that it's applicable for. I also just think we need more time. You know, it's a 10-year-old industry. It needs to mature. It needs to stabilize. We need to test the use cases, continue innovating, and increase awareness. So I think all these all these things, you know, knowledge and, and time more generally should lead to better uptake of blockchain businesses and products uh, and make sure people understand the technology a little bit more because it can be a bit frightening for people. It's complex. You know, I'm very fortunate that I have a math degree. So for me, understanding the technology is probably a little bit easier than someone who doesn't have, you know, third year cryptography to rely on. So I think that should certainly start helping people when there's more knowledge and awareness get to grips with the technology more. So I, a couple of few years ago, I thought that the um, um, blockchain, uh, sorry, yeah, the blockchain crypto um, revolution was going to be led by the public. But now I believe that it's going to be led by industry because industry, it's much easier to, to educate industry about the benefits of, of the blockchain than it is the average person who keeps reading about hacks and keeps reading about it's a scam, keeps reading about the volatility and, you know, who really don't know much about it at all. So it's going to be the corporations and funnily enough, it's going to be people like banks that um, that lead the charge into blockchain, isn't it? Am I right or am I wrong? I- yeah, and I think that makes sense. You know, blockchain is a, a technology, so yeah. it enables things. 
it enables products, new ways of working, but it, it isn't something that exists in and of itself. So sure. you have to apply it somewhere. Yeah. So it makes sense that industry needs this because they need to figure out the use cases where it can sensibly be applied, whether that's to save costs on trade, as a use of provenance, as a uh, real-time trading and settlement network, you know, whatever it may be, it has to be fit around a product and, and that has to be fitted around a user need. So the businesses and the industry should be leading it, but it, it will really be for the customers at the end of the day. Yep. So how do you, how do you see the future of digital assets in five to ten years' time? Do you, do you see it... Um, replacing fiat or taking a big slice out of the fiat market because neither of them are really backed by much <laughs> american dollars exactly. american dollars <laughs> backed by exactly nothing <laughs> exactly and a lot of people forget this you know the gold standard was removed uh, certainly before i was born so yeah. when people uh, give the criticism of, of bitcoin or any cryptocurrency then it's not backed by anything yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to kind of look closer to home of what's in our in our kind of pockets of fear as well for that. So yeah. I think for me, certainly, it, I don't think it will replace fear in total. Uh, I think it will complement fear. It will complement the digital currencies that maybe the banks and central banks look at introducing, and it will be an alternative payment mechanism, maybe more so in the developing market than the developed market. Uh, it's easy to look at things with a, a Western kind of uh, tinge on with, on that and say, oh, because it isn't used as the main payment mechanism in the UK, it's failed. Well, actually, if you look at some of the developing markets, certainly across Africa, Bitcoin has a really good use case there in areas where the political climate is troubled or banks are even less trusted as they are in the, in the Western Hemisphere. So... I think we need to really kind of judge the, the successes of digital currencies, not just in one jurisdiction, but in the value that they're providing across different industries, countries, use cases. I think, though, we will see a decrease in the number of digital assets. As I said before, you know, there's thousands of cryptos. Sure. Not all are going to survive. That's completely unsustainable. You don't want to walk into Starbucks and pay with Starbucks coin and then go next door to you know costa and pay with costa coin that would sure. be really user unfriendly so what we'll probably see is you know the, the top cryptos surviving maybe some utility tokens specifically uh, that have you know really good application sure. coming through and the rest probably dying off uh, i do think we'll see an increase in tokenization so that's of course anything from traditional assets uh, like real estate art to financial products yeah, and that will yeah. hopefully provide greater transparency provenance of ownership as well as, you know, more diversity and ownership itself. So yes. I think there are some really exciting areas. Blockchain, I am incredibly bullish on, on how that's going to kind of hopefully change many industries. I don't think it will replace everything because it's not a panacea, uh, but we should see some really clever use cases of it. And we are actually already seeing some really good use cases of it. But some of the value it provides is just getting businesses to look again at their tech stack and see that there's a better way of doing things. And we've seen that in banks where they've tried, say, a POC of blockchain and, and thought, actually, this isn't the best technology to use, but we could just improve what we have by, let's say, migrating to the cloud. So I think that's a really good value that it's brought, and we'll hopefully see that value continue over the next five to ten years. It's amazing the applications that are using blockchain. I've, um, I know of um, a group that's um, – I'm not sure of the word – that 
is using it for produce and is now about to go into livestock and whatever so that they can track, you know, almost down to the paddock in the farm where the product originated. And so you don't have a situation where in California we had a um, salmonella um, scare and they didn't know where the hell the what farm the salmonella was on. So all cos lettuce had to be destroyed when um, using um, blockchain they could isolate the actual paddock where the um, where the problem was. Um, got another friend who's um, um, using blockchain with art to protect. Yeah provenance and, and a whole bunch of other advantages of it. Um, one in Africa that's using it for aid. Um, there are governments that are using it to track welfare payments, etc. So it's it's used as very well, very widespread. Yeah, sure. And I was working as uh, fairly recently on a project out in Hong Kong with a charity there, and they're using blockchain to track workers' contracts. So yeah. the idea is there that um, once you, let's say a migrant worker comes over and they sign a contract, occasionally and, and more often actually than uh, it should be, they're exploited with the terms sure. changed and they have no recourse to the original contract because it was either in another language or taken away at the point of signing. Yeah. So this project allows migrant workers to store their contracts on there and then if there's a dispute, they're able to refer directly to that. And that's been used in many, many uh, countries now. Uh, around the world and is a fantastic example of how blockchain can be used for social good. So there's so many exciting projects out there using blockchain to literally transform people's lives and I think that's really exciting. Yeah, I do too. So where's PR9 Network going in the next five years? Well, we're certainly looking at building out the proposition, uh, working with our council and the network participants to make sure that we're building a platform that is scalable, usable, really user-friendly and addresses the key needs in the market which is security and the ability to trade so for us it's uh, really the next year certainly is about building out the product making sure that it's secure that's something which you know we want to complement the security that cold storage provides with a really secure platform ourselves we're going to be aggressively chasing regulation in the jurisdictions that we're working with and as i said building out a really user-friendly product so for us yeah going into builds uh, working with as, as many custodians uh, as we can in a scalable manner to build out a really useful product which should, you know, hopefully provides a lot of people with the opportunity to trade their assets as well as keeping them secure in cold storage. Tara, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to contact Tara or find out more about PR9 Network, go to PR9 dot network dot yeah. network so pr9 period network period network and i'll be back with more of the bob pritchard radio show on voice america business after this short break Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? 
Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 434th Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. And we're broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. Now, if you walk into a Starbucks store anywhere in the world, you'll hear coffee beans grinding, espresso shots being pulled, and customers talking to baristas while their coffee order is handcrafted just for them. The process is carefully orchestrated to serve Starbucks more than 100 million weekly customers. Now, with the help of Microsoft, Starbucks is creating an even more personal, seamless customer experience in its stores by implementing advanced technologies. From cloud computing to blockchain, who would have thought that had had any part in pulling a good coffee? Now, Starbucks has a new coffee machine that serves two purposes. One is to collect data using sensors built into the machine. It tells them what's selling and when. It tells them when the machine needs to be repaired and that saves them operating costs. They also speed up wait times as the machine can pull together a triple espresso instantly. Now, everything Starbucks does in technology is centered around, you know, connection in the store, the human connection, one person, one cup, one neighborhood at a time, just exactly what they've built their reputation on. And Starbucks has been using reinforcement learning technology. Now, this is technology where the system learns to make decisions in complex, unpredictable environments based on external feedback. Now, this enables Starbucks to provide a more personalized experience for customers, and particularly those who use the mobile app. Within the app, customers receive tailor-made order suggestions generated via a reinforcement learning platform. Through the work of Starbucks data scientists, 16 million active Starbucks rewards members now receive recommendations from the app for food and drinks based on the local store inventory, popular suggestions, the weather, time of day, community preferences, and previous orders. That's pretty smart. That is very cool. For example, if a customer consistently orders dairy-free beverages, 
the platform suggests a non-dairy preference, steers clear of items containing dairy and suggests dairy-free food and dairy-free drinks. Now, reinforcement learning allows the app to get to know every customer individually better, the end goal being personal interaction. Starbucks is using machine learning and artificial intelligence to understand and anticipate their customers' personal preferences in all applications. It doesn't have to just be um, in drive-through or members. Machine learning also plays a role in store design, partner engagement, inventory optimization, and barista schedules. That all makes sense. The company will leverage the technology for managing inventory and ordering supplies. Starbucks is actually a really efficient organisation and um, 7-Eleven's been doing this sort of stuff for a long while. 7-Eleven adjusts the menus in their, for the food available in their stores depending on the weather and where they're located, personal, you know, tastes of people in that area, etc. Now, to reduce disruptions, Starbucks is securing the connected internet of things to all its devices across all its store equipment. They've got, I think, about 15 pieces of equipment in every store, and all these will be connected by the Internet of Things, collecting more than five megabytes of data in an eight-hour shift. So Starbucks knows everything there is about what demand times are, how many baristas they want, tells them everything they need to know. It also helps them repair their machines and know when their machines are due for repair. Starbucks is also able to send new coffee recipes. You know, they change their recipes constantly up on the up on the boards. They're able to send their new coffee recipes directly to machines in 30,000 stores in nearly 80 markets where currently they're manually delivered multiple times a year. So they just can send all these recipes out via these machines. Starbucks is also innovating ways to trace the journey that its coffee makes from its 380,000 farms. So Starbucks buys coffee from 380,000 different farms. And uh, this they will be able to trace the journey from each farm to each cup. And so they'll connect the people who drink it with the people who grow it. So when you get a cup of coffee, you'll be able to see where it came from, what farm, under what conditions it was grown, etc. That is incredible. So digital real, real-time traceability will allow Starbucks customers to know more about the coffee beans that they're actually drinking right then when they're drinking them. I reckon that's really cool. Now, this new transparency is powered, of course, by blockchain, which allows supply chain participants to trace both the movement of their coffee and their tra- its transformation from being a bean to the final bag that it's packed in. So this provides all parties a more complete view of their product's journey. 
I think that's amazing. Soon customers will be able to use a Starbucks mobile app to trace the journey of their Starbucks packaged coffee. You know, a lot of people are concerned where their coffee comes from and wants to make want to make sure that um, it's it's grown in the right environment and that the people that are growing it are being looked after. And this is one way to do that. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. You know, it's amazing how many people try to impede other people's journey through business. And uh, and if you're too lazy to, to get out there and do it yourself, get out of the road. Let Help the people that want to get on. You know, it's easier and more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can do the ordinary. If you walk down the street, there's millions of ordinary people. And if you're always trying to be normal, you're always going to be boring. Normal people are boring. You'll never know how amazing that you can really be unless you dream big, bite off more than you can chew, and chew like hell. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success is failure and failure really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting from Hollywood, California, the entertainment and technology capital of the world. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you again this time next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.